morning. Thankful that you are here. Uh, let's begin our study this morning with uh, a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to gather and to open up your word and to study it. And we pray that the spiritual food will strengthen us. We pray that we will share it with those around us in our everyday walk. We ask you to please forgive us of our sins. We ask you to be with those of the congregation who are sick, those who are caring for the sick. And we're also mindful of families who are grieving loss of loved ones. We pray that you be with them. And we pray that you be with us the remainder of this day. And we ask you, uh, please forgive us where we wrong thee. And we pray that we will uh, continue to grow and to be better servants of yours tomorrow. These things we ask in your son's name. Amen. All righty. Today we're going to start in at chapter 9 of 1 Samuel. Um, we're going to see a total change in what we've been studying. We're going to move into that stage where Israel has uh, refused God as their king and they are going to uh, demand that, uh, that they have a king. So we're going to kind of move into that part. We've, we've you know, we started out with uh, Hannah dedicating Samuel, Samuel growing up, and then Samuel actually proving himself to Israel as a prophet. And then, then we see the the um, the inerrancy of the sons and the way that they are uh, doing the priestly activities. We see the death of the two sons, and then, then we move into where the actual the Ark of the Covenant is stolen by the Philistines, and all the plagues and the things that happened from all the cities that the Ark was moved to, and then they decide, hey, we don't need this Ark anymore. We need to give it back, so they send it back, and last week we talked, uh, Brother Robert talked about uh, all the things the tumors and how they sent the ark back. And, uh, I thought it was very interesting. I just want to make one comment about last week and uh, about the cows and the calves. Uh, some of you in this room have probably been around livestock. Some of you probably haven't, but uh, usually in the springtime, after they calve and, and they grow up, when you start to separate them to either take them to the market or sell them, it's it's a interesting thing to see that mother bond to that calf. And it's not a subtle thing when you separate a calf from a cow. They can be very, very aggressive. And it's, it, a lot of, when people read that, they kind of read over it if you've not actually seen the actual separation of a calf from a cow. And to separate two cows that have not worked together and it goes off in the direction as it did, there's a whole lot more happening there than just two cows pulling a cart. So I just wanted to throw that in. So, All right, verse number 1, chapter 9. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, and the son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacor, the son of Aphia, the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor, 
He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. And his shoulders, from his shoulders up, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, Take now with you one of the servants and arise. Go search for the donkeys. He passed through the hill country of Ephraim. He passed through the land of Salsha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, but they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, of Zuf, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, Come and let us return, or else my father will cease to, cons- cease to be concerned about the donkeys and will become anxious for us. So here, here we learn that Kish, Saul's father, is from the tribe of Benjamin. Kish is considered here to be a mighty man of power. This could mean wealth, influence, military might. It is not clear. In verse 2, we're told Kish and his son, who was choice in the American Standard Version, or could mean young and handsome, he was clearly very impressive to look upon. In verse 2, we're told there was not a man more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. He was taller than any man of the people. Now let's stop right there for just a second. It talks about how handsome Saul was, not just from the tribe of Benjamin, but from all of Israel. Now you think about how many people there is in Israel. He must have been, I mean, just a standout, impressive person. I know if, if you've ever been in a big crowd and you have somebody that's close to seven foot tall, they really, really stick out. I mean, it's. Uh, I know one time I went to one of the uh, barnstormer tours of uh, UK's basketball team. It was when Sam Bowie and um, uh, I forget the other big fellow, Melvin Turpin. Melvin Turpin, yes. But I, I remember standing beside them, and it was just, it was unbelievable. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a good five eight with you know good shoes on, so. But, but anyways, I just that makes me think of that when they say he was tall and he was handsome, but he really, really stuck out. Another question, what about the tribe of Benjamin? What comes to your mind here when you, when you think about Benjamin? Okay. Could you all hear that? Benjamin at this time, uh, they had totally been wiped out because of sin back in... Um, in Judges, actually, if, if you go back to Judges chapter 20 and verse 15, they were numbered at 26,000. And then if Judges 20 and verse 21 is when they went to battle with Israel. Uh, and in this first battle, Israel lost 22,000 in the battle against Benjamin. Now just kind of hold on to these numbers in your head. In Judges 20 and verse 25, Israel in this next battle loses 18,000. Now this is Israel losing these men, not Benjamin. Then in Judges chapter 20 and verse 35, 
Benjamin is finally defeated, losing 25,100 men. So what does that tell you? There was three battles. Israel lost, if you do 26 or do 22,000 and 18,000. What is that? 40,000. And in the third battle, Benjamin is defeated by 25,000. What does that tell you about Benjamin? Israel lost 40, and it took three battles for Israel to take them out at 25,000. They were fighters. You think about those numbers. They were fighters. But at this point, as Danny said, they were one of the smallest tribes. They had been uh, defeated by Israel because of sin. Okay, let's move on. Any more comments, questions? Okay, let's move on. Saul was sent out by his father with one servant to search for his father's donkeys. After searching through all these regions, even through the lands of the Benjamites, uh, they have success. They have no success in finding his father's donkeys. Now, one other point I'd like to make before we move on. Um, in Esther, someone turn to Esther chapter 2 and verse 5. Esther chapter 2 and verse 5. Okay. So what do we learn there about Mordecai? He would be what the... And he would be the what to Kish? Would be great or great-grandson? Would that be right? If, I, if I'm figuring that right, I think that's right. I just thought that was interesting. I've, I had that little note in my Bible from some time. I was studying that, but I thought that was interesting. Okay, let's read on. All right, verse 6. And he said to him, Behold, now there is a man in this city, and the man is held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. Now let us go... Go there, perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have set out. Then Saul said to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is gone in our sack, and there is no present to bring to the man. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have in my hand a fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God, and he will tell us, our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, Come, let us go to the seer, for he who is called a prophet now has formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city and where the man of God was. Saul's servant suggests that they go and see this man of God who all that he says comes true. Maybe he can help us. I kind of look at this here. You got, you got Saul, the leader of this expedition, if you will, and then you have the servant. Uh, Saul seems to be the pessimist here, and the servant seems to be the optimist. He seems to always be looking for the next positive in fulfilling what they, what they set out to do. Um, Saul is again concerned about if, if we go see the man of God, 
we have no present to bring him, and our bread sacks are empty. The servant comes through once again. He tells Saul, I have a fourth of a shekel of silver. And formerly a prophet is called a seer, as we learn from those verses. Saul and his servant traveled to, to where the man of God was supposed to be. All right. So Saul's ready to pack it up and go home. And then the servant, he's like, no, no. Um, and then it makes me think, too, uh, you see all these, um, how this servant is playing into this. You know, the servant is probably the, the least important person, if you will, of this whole story. But you see how his input is continually redirecting what's going on. And, and Saul, he's affecting Saul's decisions and what he does and where he goes. I thought that's that's very, very interesting that everything, Saul wants to do this this, but the servant speaks up and says, no, we can do this. And back early on in the scripture, if you look back, um, it's verse 3. And it says, So Kish said to his son Saul, Take now with you one of the servants. Now how do you suppose the servant was picked? Do you, do you think, I mean, he, he told Saul to pick, take one of the servants. So what would influence Saul and who he would pick? Would he just randomly pick a servant? I mean, is that how we do things? I mean, just say if, if we were in his shoes, we have servants. Which servant are you going to take? Your favorite. Someone probably who you have a relationship with. Maybe somebody who, during that time, you want somebody that's resourceful. You know, you're not, uh, you're not booking a trip with, uh, you know, whatever one of these trip places is, and it's going to be, you know, everything's planned. You know, they're, they're going on a trip, they're taking X amount of food with them, and they're, they're traveling rough back in that day. So just something to think about. Questions or comments? Okay, let's move on. All right, verse 10. Actually, verse 11, I'm sorry. As they went up the slope to the city, they found a young woman going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered them and said, He is. He is ahead of you. Hurry now, for he has come into the city today, for the people have a sacrifice on the high place today. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, and you will find him at once. So they went up into the city, and they came into the city. Behold, Samuel was coming out toward them to go to the high place. Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel, and he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. Okay, so as they traveled, 
they meet some young women going out to draw water, which was very common in this day. They asked the young ladies about the seer. The young ladies informed them that the seer is here. Hurry and catch him. Catch him before uh, he, he goes up to the high place. He is in the city today because the people had a sacrifice on the high place. They informed Saul and his servant that they would find the seer just inside the city. Let's stop right there for just a minute. Another thought. Every time I study something like this, my brain goes all over the Bible, and and I want to pull out all the similarities. Where else do we see, it seems like, this going out to draw water, these wells, everything is associated with water. Everything is associated with people going to these wells. It seems to be a meeting place. Where else in the Bible, what other stories come to your mind of who met at these wells? Okay, that's one. Another one, I heard several voices. So just Jesus, the woman at the well, the water of eternal life. Doris, you had... Okay, Rebecca. Okay. Anyone else? Moses. Moses. Okay. Exactly. Um, I wrote a few down. I think y'all have got them all. See, Rebecca, Jacob, and and, uh, Rachel met. uh, Moses. Um, But it's just amazing, too, when you see how many things are associated with water. You know? You had the flood. You had the dividing of the Red Sea. The water is what saved the people in the ark. Water saves us today in its its uh, likeness or its example to Christ's blood. When you look at all the examples of water and how it, it gives us life and how it's uh, it's a common thing that, that brought people together. Something as simple as water when you think about it. Okay. Questions or comments? Y'all are quiet today. Very quiet. All right, let's move on. The people were going to the feast, but they would not start until the seer had come to bless and offer the sacrifice. Then they would have the meal. Obviously, Saul had no idea of what was about to occur. He did not go with intent of receiving any honor of any kind, let alone to be named king. He did not rely, really even go originally for the purpose of attending the sacrifice or the meal. He just wanted some information from the seer. Okay, let's move on. Chapter, or verse 15. Actually, verse 16. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you will anoint him to be prince over my people, Israel, and he will deliver my people from the land of the Philistines. For I have regarded regarded my people because their cry come before me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, the man whom I spoke to you, the one shall rule over my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where the seer's house is. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, 
and in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is in your mind. As for your donkeys, which were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And from whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's household? Saul replied, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me in this way? Then then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who were invited, who were about thirty men. Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion that I gave you concerning which I said to you. Set it aside. Then the cook took up the leg with what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here is what has been reserved. Set it before you and eat, because it has been kept for you until the appointed time. Since I said I have invited the people, so Saul ate with Samuel that day. Okay, let's stop right there. Now the Lord told Samuel that he would send a man from Benjamin. He would appoint as commander to save the people from the Philistines. However, God had not foreseen, for God had foreseen and most likely arranged this meeting between Saul and Samuel. This all started, number one, with the servant, with the donkeys being lost, and then a servant being sent with Saul. Now keep those two points there in mind. And then, number three, we have the, the, the servant who suggests going to find the seer. Then we have the servant who actually comes up with a quarter shekel of silver to give the seer as a gift. God revealed to Samuel the time and the the place that the man from the land of Benjamin, when Saul, when Samuel saw, that's a mouthful, Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, the man whom I spoke to you. Obviously, Saul did not even recognize Samuel as being the seer. Now, one thing I want you to notice notice that Samuel does not allow Saul to ask or talk first. This would have been just, this would have messed the whole of, of Samuel revealing all these particulars to Saul, which ultimately would make or help Saul realize that this man was truly a prophet. Because Samuel immediately, immediately invites Saul to the high place to eat. Then I will let you go. Then I will tell you all that is on your mind. Samuel knew what Saul wanted, and he immediately put Saul at ease about his father's lost donkeys. Now see, that was the catcher right there, was he was going to Samuel for that reason. And when Samuel gives all this back to him, and all in this package, can you imagine how he felt? Okay, he's... He's the least family in the least tribe of Israel. And then you have 
this prophet of God who's treating him with royalty honor and then he actually tells him your journey that you set out on everything's fine I got this and just think about that how he felt and how overwhelmed he must have been especially him being the pessimist and then the servant being the optimist and if 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 they had followed Saul's lead they would have not even got to that point so you see how these little bitty particulars they all play in the the prophecy that you see God working in it just as simple as do you think the donkeys just ran off to a certain place just like Last week when Robert was explaining the, the cows in the cart. Um, and then your brain goes all over the Bible again. Where does God use animals to show that he's in control? Think how many stories in the Bible where God either used as animals, he's using plants, he's using just nature itself. I mean, when you think about all that and you think about these little particulars, it, it's so amazing of, of God, the prophecy, and how some of these stories, uh, a lot of times we read through them and it's just a simple story of some donkeys being lost. This fellow goes and they, you know, it, it, sometimes we need to stop and just slow down and think about everything that, it's, it's a domino effect, you know, there's a real way to play dominoes, but we always set them up and, and, you know, made designs and things. When one domino falls, it's a domino effect. One thing affects the next thing, and so on. And if one domino is taken out of that, what happens? It changes the whole thing. One little, one little thing. And that's how the workings of God and his teachings, they, they work together. The little things that, that, that are so simple. Providence of God, you know, of being at a certain place at a certain time. You know, the things, the things that we read and how they connect, it's, it's amazing. Questions or comments? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. It makes sense, just like their fighting abilities. By those numbers, you could see clearly that they could fight because... Right. And uh, another thing that just generates thoughts for me is um, who else in the Bible, when they're approached by a prophet or God and asked to do something, what other people come to your mind that, were, that had the same response? They were like, ah, you know, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Who else? Moses. What was said about Jesus. What good can come from Nazareth? Who else? What about Gideon? Anybody else? I wrote some down here. Gideon, Jesus, Moses. Um, what about David? We're going to get into David for too long, hopefully. David was the same way. You know, he was spunky, but yet when you compare David to Saul and their you know physical appearance it was it was night and day so who Mary. okay 
All right? You know, Jesus, uh, he was labeled as the carpenter's son. You know, it wasn't anything spectacular. You know, when you read uh, Isaiah 53, uh, it was, what is it, like a, uh, a root out of parched ground. He, he had no... He had no physical appearance to, to look upon that was that was would draw you to him. So yeah, okay. It's kind of like uh, what was said about Paul. He became all things to all men. You have to find something in common with people, some commonality that they like. You know, something that you you can build that that conversation on. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Anyone else? Let's move on. All right, verse 22. Then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and gave them a place and set them down. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I have given you concerning which I said, set it aside. And the cook took up the leg and was on it and set it before Saul. And Saul said, Here is what has been reserved and set before you to eat, because it has been kept for you until the appointed time, until I have invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Let's move on. When they came down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof, and they arose early. And at daybreak, Samuel called called to Saul on the roof, saying, Get up, and may I send you away. So Saul rose, and both of them and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Say to the servant that he might go ahead of us and pass on, but you remain standing now that I may proclaim the word of God. Okay. They go into the hall, and they place, then again we're talking about Samuel is treating Saul here with with honor. They placed him at the head of the table. There was 30 men who were invited. And notice what Saul says to the cook. Bring the portion that I gave you concerning which I said to you, set it aside. Then the cook took up the leg and set it before Saul. Now notice this. Samuel said... Here is what has been reserved. Set it before you and eat, because it has been kept for you until the appointed time. Since I have invited the people, so Saul ate with Samuel that day. Now another thought here. This was a common thing that happened you know, on a regular basis. These 30 men that it mentions... Um, do you think these were just randomly 30 men that was picked to come to this? Most likely not. These were probably prominent people of that community, if you will, village, however you want to label it. What do you suppose they were thinking? This big, tall fellow comes in and Samuel sets him at the head of the table. And gives him the choice parts to eat. You know, what what do you think was going through their mind? Okay. Now, then let's back up and think about what has been said. You see, Israel was crying for this king. 
So, you know, people have this on their mind. They're, they're wanting a king. They have rejected God as their king. They have accepted Samuel as their prophet. They know what he says comes true. And they're bringing, he brings this fellow in. You know, you know these folks are thinking, you know, something's going on here. So, questions or comments? Prominent people. They, this guy brings a stranger in, sets him down, sets him down at the head of the table. Just something to think about. All right. After Samuel and Saul came down from the high place, it seems that they spent some time on the roof, just talking, and probably getting to know each other a little better. Let's stop again right there. So here we are again. You got you got two people. Um, you know, Saul was not the one who wanted to go see this man of God. It was the servant. So, you know, Saul, for some reason, is not really knowing about this, this fellow. The servant's the one that directed him in his direction. So here we go again. You have a prophet of God. They have... Um, you know, you think about the things that bring people together. We talked about the water. We've talked, now they've had a meal together. They've been, he's been introduced to the prominent folks of that community. And now, uh, probably where Saul and Samuel were was probably somebody else's house. This was probably not Samuel's house. They were probably staying with someone. But then again, he takes into his home, shows him hospitality, and they're talking, and now you've got to put yourself back in Saul's shoes. Samuel has revealed all these things to him that he had no way of knowing. And he had already been told by the servant of this man, this fellow, who what he says comes true. So then you, you have all this going on, and Saul is probably still like, man, this is just too much. This is overwhelming. And then... To add to the expense, Samuel tells him, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow before I reveal to you what you really came here to find out. And then Saul is thinking to himself, I just wanted to know where my father's lost donkeys were. You know, he has no idea. So you just sit and think about that. Questions or comments? Okay. Okay. All right. Why do you suppose they met on the roof? Just some general information. Private. Private. Okay. Probably the air conditioner was broke on the first floor, maybe. I don't know. Right. Okay. Uh, Danny was saying that, you know, in a previous chapter, we learned that Samuel does this circuit that he visits these different villages and towns. So he most likely had a common place that he stayed in all these towns. So uh, the rooftop would have been cooler. Uh, even today, places we go in the Caribbean on our mission trip, we see this a lot where they don't have air conditioning. They will have a place to where they get better air movement. It would be cooler. It would be more comfortable. And it would be better, better to sleep when the weather's nice. Right. 
right. They were they were flat. Most likely the roof was flat. Um, okay. So here they they get better acquainted. They sleep through the night. Then the next day they arose very early. And the text tells us it was about daybreak. Samuel called to Saul on the roof, saying, Get up, that I may send you away. They both went out into the street, and as they were going to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Send the servant on ahead, so I may proclaim the word of God to you. Okay. So here we go again, and this is something that just... Um, this servant is the main reason that that Saul is where he's at, that they're even having this conversation. And then, all of a sudden, he's he's not important. You know, you you just go ahead. You know, go ahead. So when you then again when you when you rewind what all's happened. And think about everything that fell into place. We start, if you go back to chapter 8, verse 22, God told Samuel to listen to the people to appoint them a king. Then the donkeys are lost. Kish sends Saul with one of the servants, just random, that pass through all these areas. And Saul is ready to go home. The servant changes his mind. And then Saul tries to find another excuse not to go. We have no gift. We're out of bread. we got to go home. But the servant again turns Saul. What's this tell us today? How do, how do we apply this to us today? How do we apply this lesson to each of us in this room today? Okay. As long as we're doing God's will... There's going to be things that happen that that we don't really understand why. There's going to be things that happen that we kind of feel like we had a part to play in it. But the main thing is God has a plan, and his providence is going to play out regardless, just as uh, or it was talking about a place that you were here at this time, just as in the story of Esther. You know, you've got... Ruth, Esther, all the stories that particular people, specific people, who weren't important people, they had a role to play, but they followed what God told them to do, and it all worked out for the best. So that's that's a story. That's what we can take away from this. That's a very good point. Very good point. Just as just as Eli. That's probably something that Samuel learned from Eli by his example and how he dealt with everything that was going on before this. So, anyone else? Yeah, just give you a little bump. You know, it, it, you know, it's okay. Let's try this. You know, if this failed, then let's try this. You know, uh, our goal is to find the donkeys. You know, let's, you know, let's keep trying. So, anyways. Well, that's all I have, and we're about out of time. Thank you again for coming.